and welcome to WMMT's Mountain Talk. I'm your host for the first half of our show today, Parker Hobson. Coming up, with our very own Seed Time on the Cumberland Festival coming up in just a few weeks, we'll hear some clips from past Seed Times, including a performance by the great Lee Sexton. And later on, we'll hear about a neat new folklore project that documents the lives of mail carriers in rural areas like ours. But we start our show today in Johnson County at the Johnson County Health Department. Stay tuned. Type 2 diabetes is sadly far too common in Eastern Kentucky. Rates here are higher than the state and national averages, and local health professionals say that some people in the area think it's just inevitable that they'll end up with diabetes someday, especially if it runs in their family, and there's nothing they could do to stop it. But Mary Beth Castle of Johnson County says this isn't true, and that she herself is living proof. After getting diagnosed with pre-diabetes, which basically means you're on the road to type 2, unless you can make some changes to your routine, Mary Beth made those changes, and despite having diabetes in her family, she kept herself from crossing over into type 2. She now works for the Johnson County Health Department, where, appropriately enough, she leads the Diabetes Prevention Program, a year-long lifestyle change program where she helps other people in the community do exactly what she did, keep pre-diabetes from turning into type 2. To start our show today, and as part of our ongoing series, Prevent Diabetes EKY, we have her story. And then she said, you are now pre-diabetic. And I, that kind of clicked with me, because my dad's a diabetic, my mom's a diabetic, both of my siblings. And I went, okay, it's time for me to do something. I'm Mary Beth Castle. I'm the health educator at the Johnson County Health Department, but I'm also the Diabetes Prevention Program lifestyle coach as well. Most people that are pre-diabetic don't know that they're pre-diabetic because it's not something that doctors will usually mention to them until it gets really to the point they are already type 2 diabetic. People don't even know that there is such a thing as being pre-diabetic that can lead you into being a type 2 diabetic. The Diabetes Prevention Program is set up to be 16 core classes. It's a class one class per week. It lasts about an hour, sometimes a little hour and a half. Depends on your group. Each of the classes are set up in different stages. We do talk about different things. Like the first time they come in, we do talk about what your weight is and where your weight needs to be. The program is not asking you to lose a lot of weight. It's set up to lose five to seven percent of your body weight. And so we're, it's not like we're asking people to drop 50 pounds. Some people may have needed to lose 12, some people may have needed to lose 22, but it's each individual is it's set for them based on what their weight is. So that's the first thing we do. And then we gradually start looking at what kind of foods that we're eating. We look at labels. I bring in foods in here. We turn the labels over. We look what kinds of things are in those as far as carbs and sugars and calories. We try to figure out a plan for them of what they want their calorie intake to be so that they can start to see some marginal weight loss. I don't expect them to come in here and have 10 pounds lost, you know, in a week, or maybe not even 10 pounds in a month. If they're moving the scale in the downward direction, that's what we want them to do. 
and then we gradually work from that we work into physical activity and physical activity can be anything that they count during the day we, i want them to get uh, at least 150 minutes of physical activity in a week so that's about 30 minutes for five days it doesn't have to all be done at what time one time if they do 30 minutes a day it could be 10 in the morning 10 in the middle of the day 10 in the afternoon but they get to count everything they do as physical activity if it's mopping if it's running the vacuum if it's taking the trash out if they're one old lady washes her car all the time uh, she's like 82 I think she said and she's like washing her car she gets to count that as physical activity our little saying as far as uh, our process is we are trying to be like the tortoise and the hare, but we are the tortoise. We're trying to be slow, but yet stay on a steady pace to see some marginal weight loss, but yet get some physical activity in there. And I want them to feel good about it. You know, and we always, when somebody in here would like, they lost whatever weight, we always try to yoo-hoo and clap and, you know, always give them warm and fuzzies and pats on the back per se, because we all, we all like that feeling when we start to accomplish things. I, I don't tell them they can't have anything. I don't tell them they can't eat this or they can't eat that. I tell them they can have what they want to eat. They need to do it in moderation and they need to look at portion sizes. We live in an area where our grannies and our mamas want our plates to be full of food and they want us to eat everything on there. Trying to get them to get back to that, instead of three spoonfuls, start with two of green beans instead of three of the green beans, even though that's probably a better thing that you can eat. Because if they just cut back on portions alone, that's gonna make a difference. But the group sitting is awesome. Sitting here around a table, with other people that are going through the same thing that you're going through as far as you know looking at their foods they're eating getting physical activity being accountable for their weight every week every week they come in they weigh. they don't have to tell the group their weight they write it down they give that to me i keep that to myself the only way that other people would know in the group what your weight is is if you personally tell them and most of our group they're they're pretty sharing a lot of them don't care to tell what their weight was or if they gained, my little ladies don't care to say I gained a pound or two or whatever. Once it goes to once a month, then that's where we are now. It's a core maintenance, which is a six month. We meet once every six months after the first 16 weeks. They will tell you that they miss that once a week gathering because you're going a whole month and not seeing those people. You're not talking about what's going on. You're not talking about what struggles that you may have or you're not accountable for that weigh-in every week you're only having to weigh in once a month and so that was that weekly thing is really good for accountability uh, and I never ever say anything negative to them if they didn't lose weight we talk about okay what do you think might have been the reason and everybody bounces off of each other because what might work for LaDonna doesn't work for Stony and what might didn't work for Stony didn't work for Mary and, and it's just it's all geared toward the personal individual. It's hard to get people to go out of their comfort zone. We're all that way and we like to stay in that box. We don't want to get outside of that box and it makes it really hard. I try to use myself kind of as a motivational piece because I was right where they were. Before I started here at the health department, I had had my health checkup that we had to do for our health insurance. And they told me then, 
that I was obese, which I knew that, I'm 5'2", you can't weigh 202 pounds when you're 5'2". You can, but it's not good for you. And then she said, you are now pre-diabetic. And I, that kind of clicked with me because my dad's a diabetic, my mom's a diabetic, both of my siblings. And I went, okay, it's time for me to do something. So I did what they're having trouble with. I had to go outside my box. And I started walking, and that's what I told them. You don't have to walk far, and you don't have to walk fast. Just some physical activity. And, and I'm now a runner, and I never was a runner. And I now do cardio kickboxing, and I never did do that either. But I pushed myself outside that box. And if I, and I, that's what I said to them. Because when I said I weighed 202, they went, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, no, I did. And so they've seen pictures of me. And I'm extremely overweight. But I said, I'm 56. If I can do it, anybody can do it. But it is a mindset thing. You have to want to do for you. A lot of people don't, can't seem to get there because they still think they have to take care of everybody else. But you can't take care of everybody else if you don't take care of you. so many people that will message me or talk to me and go, what's your secret? There is no secret. You have to be more physically active and you have to start watching what's going in your mouth. And they have to balance each other out. I will eat things that I know that are not necessarily healthy for me and probably that I shouldn't have eaten. But I make sure that if I had three pieces of pizza that I've worked out that day or I've walked a little extra that day or tomorrow I'm going to walk a little extra because I ate something the day before. I think physical activity is the biggest thing right now for people. We get too sedentary and so many families have children and they have to be, one has to be in A and one has to be at B and one has to be at C or, and everybody's in such a hurry and we're so quick to run through those drive-throughs and we pick up something really quick and so many of the things that are cheap for families are things that are not healthy for them and we're on the go and we as adults we're sitting in a baseball field or we're sitting in a gym or we're sitting you know we're wherever we are and okay your child is playing softball or playing baseball you can get up and walk around there while you're there there's I just think if you're physically able to do it you need to be doing the physical activity before you get to the point where you can't do physical activity I think it's just become commonplace for people. Grandpa had diabetes, granny had it, my aunt sister had it, my aunt had it, and everybody just kind of is like, okay, I, I'm t I have diabetes now. I, I don't think they see it as a huge health concern in this area. I mean, and they can watch family members die because of it or complications from it, but I think they think, oh, it's not going to happen to me, and then if it does, it's like, eh, it's not that big a deal. You know, they go to the doctor, and they just expect to, the doctor just to give them a pill, and the medicine's going to take care of it, and I don't have to worry about it. And that's not the way it is with diabetes. Yes, once you get it, there is medication that you can take, and it will help to keep it in check. But there are still things you have to do for yourself. So to keep from getting to that point, or maybe kicking that can, as I said, farther down the road and prolong it as long as we can, let's do the things that's good for us to help with that. I'm not asking you to get out and run a marathon tomorrow. I'm asking you to start small. Walk just a little bit, and then in a week or two, increase your distance a little bit. And then in a week or two, increase that distance a little bit. We're back to that tortoise. Slow and steady. And then next thing you know, you'll be 
walking seven miles a day or getting seven miles of activity today or me who started out just walking and now I run 5Ks and I do cardio kickboxing, but I started out just walking like a fourth of a mile. And that is hard. That's hard for anything. Just that first step, whether it be getting more physical activity and going, okay, I'm going to start tomorrow and I'm going to get up and I'm going to start walking. Or I'm going to start with portion control. And that first time that you put food on your plate and there's all that food there and you're like, I'm only going to put this and this and this and that's all I'm going to eat. That first step is hard. But once you get over that hurdle, I think it's all downhill from there. It's so much easier. know eastern Kentucky we're at the top of like for everything whether it be cancers or you know smoking or diabetes or pre-diabetes and I hear people in this area say well it doesn't matter what you do when it's time for you to die you're going to die no matter what kind of like that oh well I'm already predestined to have type 2 diabetes I'm just going to have it so no need to worry about it my comeback to that is, okay, maybe I am going to end up with type 2 diabetes later on in life. I mean, it's the possibilities for me are good, but I'm willing to take the chances to try to prolong all of that down the road as long as I can. I think just people knowing that the diabetes prevention program is attainable, that it's when you... They, you talk about, oh, it's going to be 16 classes and it's going to be 16 weeks and we have to meet for an hour. I think people automatically turn that off and they don't realize how good of experience it can be and that it is just about them. It's not like you're coming in here and you just have to deal with all those people that's in that session. Everything is geared toward the individual person. It's about you and it's about you making changes for you and to maybe stop this cycle of you know, going from pre-diabetes to type 2 diabetes, it has to start somewhere. Why can it not start with me? Again, you've been hearing from Mary Beth Castle of Johnson County. Mary Beth leads Johnson County's Diabetes Prevention Program, or DPP, a lifestyle change program where participants meet in small groups over the course of a year to learn and support each other in preventing diabetes. The DPP is offered in counties all across the region. To find a group near you, and for more stories of preventing diabetes in Eastern Kentucky, check out our project website, preventdiabeteseky.org. Up next, Every year since 1987, Apple Shop's Seed Time on the Cumberland Festival has provided a stage for local music, art, and performance of all kinds, including everything from traditional old-time and bluegrass music to local punk bands, storytelling, literature readings, craft demonstrations, theater, and so much more. After a couple years of happening virtually due to COVID, this year's Seed Time will happen in person at the Apple Shop on June 3rd and 4th. And so up next, as we gear up for this year's festival, we'll hear some clips from Seed Time's past. We'll start out with a reading from the 2015 Seed Time Festival from Harlan County author Robert Geip, who reads here from the book Trampoline, which we now know as the first in his acclaimed Kennard County trilogy. He's introduced here by our old pal, WMMT's one and only Jim Webb. 
Robert Geip is originally from Kingsport, Tennessee. He now lives in Harlan, Kentucky. He's the author of the novel Trampoline, is working on a second novel called Weed Eater. I would uh, recommend that the third title be uh, Above Ground Pool. And, uh, <laughs> and he, he is also uh, an alumnus of WMMT, Mountain Community Radio, uh, which, of course, you are listening to live right at this moment. Uh, he was the co-host of uh, one of our great shows called the Cudlow Stump Farm and Traffic Report. Uh, along with Cudlow Stump, his partner, he was Ace Hat Head, and one of the great features of that radio show was his weekly call to his mother, Ma Hat Head. And uh, uh, it is one of the uh, greatest memories I have of WMMT, it was uh, Ace Hat Head talking with Ma Hat Head, and you can see why <laughs> it might, might have been mildly amusing. Would you please welcome Robert Geip. Thank you, Jim. Uh, this piece is called Useless. It's, it's from uh, Pine Mountain Sand and Gravel, which, which is an honor to be in, in which to be included. She had the quietest ways, that woman did. She only wore colors you'd see in the woods. And when she moved her hands, it was like watching birds settle on a phone wire. I liked how there wasn't no ruckus to her. So I was hoping Belinda Coates would leave her alone. Belinda Coates wasn't nothing but ruckus. Belinda Coates was short and solid and would have been nice looking if she wasn't so mean. You'd probably recognize her from the paper or the detention center website. She didn't have no mother nor father, not that I ever heard of, and she mostly stayed with her uncle Sidney, who kept his name out of the paper fairly well. But we all knew he was pretty much behind everything bad they ever put in the paper. I was in the side yard weed-eating under a weeping cherry tree when that woman come out and stood on the screened-in porch. Belinda Coates had started blowing her car horn, and that woman and her yellow dog come out to see what was going on. Belinda Coates took a break from blowing her car horn when she seen that woman on the porch. Belinda Coates started hollering, Trisha Jewel, you better come down right now. If you know what's good for you, you'll get your ass down here. That woman come out on the screened-in porch and started down the steps, and when she did, Belinda Coates yelled up at her, Who the hell are you? When Belinda Coates did that, the yellow dog stood up on its hind legs so it could see out the porch screen and started barking hard as it could go, reared up like a person, barks booming out over town like the tornado siren. That woman tried to hush the yellow dog, but she couldn't. She come down a few steps more and said, I'm June, I'm Trisha's sister. She said, what's your name? And I had stopped weed-eating by then and was standing sideways on the hill facing them, one leg higher up the hill than the other, hard to stand like that, steep as it was. Don't you worry who I am, Belinda Coates said. Where's Trisha? That woman come down some more, about 12 steps between her and Belinda Coates. That woman sat down, collected, and calm and said, She ain't here, honey. I don't know where she is. I wish I did. 
Belinda Coates coming around the front of her car. She come three steps up to the sidewalk and put her hand on the wall at the base of the steps. She said, I don't believe you, Belinda Coates said. You're lying. You're just another lying jewel. I stepped closer, still packing my weed eater. <laughs> I ain't a jewel, that woman said, but I do wish I was lying. Trisha Jewel got my daddy throwed in jail, Belinda Coates said. Trish, Belinda Coates was talking about her uncle, Sidney Coates. She got him thrown in jail because she's a rat snitch, and when I find her, she's a dead rat snitch, said my daddy sold her pills, and he never did, never sold her pill one. That woman started punching buttons on her cordless phone. That's when Belinda Coates come on up the steps and slapped the phone out of that woman's hand. That phone went flying, and Belinda Coates' hand busted that woman right in the side of her face, and that woman tried to stand up, but Belinda Coates pushed her back down. I was still a ways away, and there was an unruly hedge between me and them, and I didn't care because Belinda Coates smacked that woman in the face again, this time with her other hand on the other side of that woman's face. And I said, hey, you wait right there. And I headed over there because, see, I had a notion for a good little while that I'd make a good hero for that woman. <laughs> see, I'd heard her talking on the phone, and I couldn't make sense of half of what she talked about, but she had her quietly ways, and she needed all kinds of things done that I could do. And them times when we had talked to each other just person to person, we'd done good together. So I said, hey, again. And then when Belinda Coates got a handful of that woman's hair and started yanking that woman down the steps, I said, you stop that now. And stepped right into my weed eater and went chin first into them steps. And when I tried to get up, my feet went out from under me and I went tumbling that woman down that woman's hill. And that woman shouted and I imagined it's cause of me, but more likely it was where Belinda Coates was flailing her. But whichever it was, I went on over the edge of that wall, which was about a four foot drop. And I landed right on my forehead on the sidewalk in front of that woman's house. My forehead split open like one of them TV wrestlers, and I sat up and wiped the blood out of my eyes, and I seen a man from the waterworks grab a hold of Belinda Coates, and it surprised me how the bald of his head looked like the head of the lawyer, lived next door to where my sister did before she shot herself one Sunday morning, me trying to get in her locked kitchen door. My arm all bloody through the broken glass of the dead boat. Her all tore up because her husband was gone on pills and it took up with this girl they'd known in high school who was also gone on pills. I begged my sister not to do it, her with the gun in her mouth. Her who had fixed my meals my whole life had got me little jobs and made brother take me in on his yard business and read my stuff for me. Who begged me to stay out of them payday loan places. I told sister I couldn't do without her, and she shot herself anyway. And when she did, I'd gone to that bald lawyer's house, and his wife looked at me through the storm door glass and said, Gene, what's the matter? And I said, I need some help with sister. And that had been back in the spring, and I had told that woman about it, and she had been real nice and cried about it with me and told me a story about how one time her and her sister Trisha jumped off the bridge out at the lake and how much she'd enjoyed that. And how she'd never done that had her sister Trisha not put her up to it. Then she showed me her empty pocketbook where there'd been $200 before Trisha took it. Probably the same 200 Trisha used to buy pills off of Sidney, the uncle of Belinda Coates, who the waterworks man held by one arm. While he got the police on that woman's cordless, that woman saying, no, 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 we don't, we don't need the police, no, no, no. 
and my head light as dried grass, and that dog barking like if it didn't, that woman would tie her up and move off, and that woman's beautiful bathtub eyes telling me she didn't need me to be her hero, and that I wasn't never going to be no more to her than the man who mowed the yard. But that didn't mean she didn't need me. That didn't mean I was useless. Robert Geip, his new novel from the Ohio University Press is called Trampoline, and it is available. Robert has a satchel with him filled with copies of Trampoline. He'll be happy to sign it, and uh, I highly recommend it. It is one of the most uh, amazing novels I have ever read in my life, and uh, particularly if you're from around here, it will, uh, you will know many of the characters and uh, you may you may even be some of the characters again that was author robert guype reading at the 2015 seed time festival guype's latest book pop is available at bookstores all across the region arguably the beating heart of seed time is music and this year's festival will have music of all kinds including dalian bradley amethyst kia wayne graham Nate Polly, and more. But Seed Time just won't be quite the same without Mr. Seed Time, Letcher County master banjo player Lee Sexton, who we lost last year at age 93. Lee was a fixture at Seed Time every year, and so to close this half hour, we'll hear a clip from the Lee Sexton Band at the 1993 Seed Time Festival, with an all-star lineup including Lee's son, Philip Sexton, and the great Marion Sumner on fiddle. They're introduced here by WMMT's Buck Maggard. Are we ready, Doctor? Looking good to me. From Letcher County, Letcher's own Lee Sexton and his band. Testing one, two, check.
Again, you've been hearing from the Lee Sexton Band from the 1993 Seed Time on the Cumberland Festival. This year's Seed Time is free and will take place in person June 3rd and 4th at the Apple Shop in downtown Whitesburg, Kentucky. For more, head to appleshop.org. And that's Apple spelled A-P-P-A-L. And that's it for the first half of our show. But stay with us for much more Mountain Talk after the break. For WMMT, I'm Parker Hobson.